Thank you so much for joining us on Connecting the Diocese. My name is Jack Sosha, the host of this show produced by the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. We've been on the air for about 10 years, or at least ever since Bishop Callahan has been here. And before that, when Bishop Listecki was here, we had the same show. It was called Connecting with the Bishop. A couple of different hosts, different people, but some of the same kind of content. We try to connect our diocese with the rest of the world. And speaking of that... Again, I sit back somewhat astounded. I'm sitting here outside of La Crosse, Wisconsin, sitting in my own studio with a laptop and a microphone. And in a few minutes, we're going to be talking with the folks at Casa Hogar in Peru. Uh, Monsignor Joseph Hirsch, Noel Ferger, uh, talking to us. And if you listen carefully, because it's very hot down there right now, like 90 degrees, their windows are all open. And if you listen carefully, you can hear little children playing outside. As we've been reading in the news, the internet can cause a lot of problems in different ways with social media. But by golly, this is one situation where the internet is our friend. We'll be right back after this on Connecting the Diocese. Well, the Super Bowl is soon upon us, and in my little world of commenting and observing, I have been a not a reporter, but kind of an opinion person over the years in radio. I couldn't help but notice the insane story that somehow there is a huge conspiracy going on that the Super Bowl is rigged. It is actually going to be a psychological operation for one reason or another, all depending on which version of the massive conspiracy that you read about or hear. Well, I just finished listening to a lecture on critical thinking, and they used as examples of critical thinking two conspiracy theories from a number of years ago. The first one was, we never went to the moon, and the second one was that the 9-11 tragedy was actually an inside job. They planted explosives inside the building. The lecturer said, using critical thinking, think about this now, anything of that massive proportion to be pulled off requires thousands of people, thousands of people, and intense planning. And sooner or later, one of the people involved will eventually blab. They just can't keep it quiet. For example, if we never went to the moon, sooner or later, somebody would say, hey, you know that uh, that mountain there that those guys were photographed in front of? I constructed that. You know? Or he said, for example, with a 9-11 crazy conspiracy, sooner or later, somebody who was planting explosives or doing the electrical work or whatever the case may be would have some remorse because of all the lives that were lost and finally come out and say, I just can't keep this quiet anymore. I was one of the guys who planted explosives. Well, nobody has come forth for the moon thing or 9-11 to do that. This is one of the signs of it being a bogus conspiracy. So this is critical thinking and just something to think about when you hear about the rather odd conspiracy theories popping up around the Super Bowl. In this wild political year, you're going to be hearing a ton of conspiracies. So just take a breath, stop and think. I don't know, but I've been told it's not a great attitude this year. Catholic News and Interviews. This is Connecting the Diocese. Well, once again, I sit here marveling that we are in the 21st century, and I can sit here just outside of La Crosse, Wisconsin, and be talking with Monsignor Joseph Hirsch in Peru, not far from Lima, at Casa Hogar, and it's like he's in the room next to me. Welcome back, Monsignor. You know, a bunch of people, now that we are also on Spotify and Amazon and iTunes, as well as on the radio, could have discovered us for the first time. So I want to ask you, tell us who you are, where you are, and, and what you do. Well, first of all, my name is Father Joe Hirsch, and I am here in Lima. I'm a priest of the Diocese of La Crosse in Wisconsin. 
And what puts me here is the fact that Father Joel Valieski from our diocese, way back in the 50s, felt a call to be able to be a missionary. And he asked permission to go to Bolivia. And the bishop sent him to Santa Cruz, Bolivia. He was there for eight years. And then he eventually came back to the U.S., worked in our diocese for several years, and then in 1971 was asked to go to Peru. Some friends of his invited him, and a bishop there invited him to be the founding pastor of a slum of about 200,000 people. And so he was the founding pastor there, and he did that for about 15 years. And so then he met Pope John Paul. And when he met Pope John Paul at his parish, uh, and he introduced the Holy Father to two million people, then he shared with him his desire and a, a sense of a call to be able to found a casogar. Casogar means a house, home. It's a, the word they use for orphanage. And so the Holy Father gave a donation to the diocese, and that was given to Father Joe, and with that he started, the following year, 1986, he started the Casogar Juan Pablo. And John, it's the orphanage of John Paul. And so we are going to complete 38 years. Father Joe did this work for the rest of his life. And he retired in the year 2000. And an ex-seminarian from Poland who became a priest in our diocese and then uh, was called to be his successor. So Father retired and moved to the jungle where he had uh, he worked in parishes and had an orphanage there. So um, he died a number of years later in 2006, and he was here for for uh, mass during Holy Week, and he died on on um, how do you say it Holy Week um, Monday in 2006. So. Father was a legend around here in Peru with all the help that he did, the missionary work. And then the work continued with Father Sebastian, the Polish priest. He was here for 13 years. And then after 13 years, I was asked to come. And so I've been here now for going on 11 years. That many years already. Wow. Yes. Now, if you want to... Uh get an idea of the impact that uh, Father Walieski had on the area, uh, you can look up on YouTube and other sources his funeral, and you will not believe it. You know, they show scenes of the casket being brought out of the church, and then some people joined in to carry his casket, and then more people joined, and then pretty soon there's a marching band, and then Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and groups from all over the place. And there are a couple of times they took turns carrying his casket. And there were some uh, post-middle-aged ladies who were carrying his casket. They were some of his original orphans. And, and you were there carrying his casket as well. Yes, I was there with uh, Father Sebastian and some other priests as well. All of us taking a turn. Yeah. It was the best funeral of my life <laughs> because it was a victory march. Yeah. And people, they shouted out, Viva, Viva, Padre Jose. And the streets were lined with children from the schools, and then a thousand people passed between. And there were, I believe, five bishops, I don't know how many priests, and religious, and then all the lay people. And uh, I even spoke with quite a few people then 
and and they said, I've heard of Madre Teresa de Calcuta, I've heard, heard of Papa Juan Pablo, you know, John Paul and Teresa of Calcutta, but this is the first saint that I actually know. <laughs> That's what people said back in 2006. And then he's buried right here on our property. We have a grotto to uh, the Blessed Mother as Star of the Sea. He built that about the year 2000. And, and he is buried there on the hill. We have people come every week and they come to visit his grave. Yeah, if you see the video, uh, I mean, the, it reminded me of, of New, York's, uh, New York City on New Year's Eve in Times Square. I mean, it was a gigantic number of people. Uh, the, the, it seemed like the whole, the whole area turned out to bid him farewell. It was just quite remarkable. And uh, watching that uh, happen was some of the inspiration that uh, Bishop Callahan had for uh, starting the, the cause for his sainthood. And uh, that's, that's moving along. You know, that is moving along. But uh, you are down there now. You've been there how many years did you say? 11? Was I hearing you correctly? Or? It's, uh, it's 11 years. I was six months in Bolivia. And then I'm almost 11 years here in Peru. Mm -hmm. And how many uh, young people do you have at, at, the, uh, at Casa Hogar? Our number is about 64. Yeah, yeah. So we have eight families of eight. Mm -hmm. And um, some of you who have heard this over the past 10 years, we've talked to you know, Monsignor periodically, uh, have heard these stories. But for those of you who haven't heard them, uh, uh, Father Walieski modeled Casa Hogar after the Boys Town principle. Can, can you explain what that is? There's an old movie. You can see some of it on YouTube if you look up Boys Town. And, uh, and Spencer Tracy was in that, that movie. When he was about 16 years old, they made two of these movies. And it just inspired him. And he felt like someday, if he ever had the chance, he would found uh, an orphanage based on the model of Boys Town. And so when he began this, he always spoke about Boys Town. And when Father Sebastian took over in the year 2000, Father Sebastian and Ambrushowski actually went down to Boys Town, were trained in their method, and then translated their whole methodology into Spanish. And that is when we specifically started to model ourselves after the Boys Town method. Yeah, and this idea was that it tried to replicate the, uh, the family unit uh, so that these, these youngsters who may have not had an intact family uh, had some experience of what it was like to be in a family. Right. You have, in, in, often in orphanages, it's more like a uh, dorm atmosphere. We were trying to create a family atmosphere where there are parents who, two people, who uh, whenever we can, a couple is the preference. Sometimes we can't get a couple, but we, we try to have a mom and a dad who model motherhood, fatherhood, and faith. And so they, there's a slogan that we have, faith, family, future. And um, Father always said, we've got to breathe with two lungs. The kids have to learn what it is to live in family and they have to live what it is to trust in God. With those two lungs, then we can live life and flourish in this life. And it seems to have worked. I recall one story you told years ago, I still remember it, about one of the young men, one of the boys there, was somewhat troublesome in school before he came to Casa. 
He may have been kicked out, as a matter of fact. And you mentioned he ended up being the class valedictorian. You know, it's stories like that uh, that are just amazing. And then you, you had a young guy a couple of years ago who was getting up early in the morning to bake bread for the rest of the kids and then also was sledding, getting ready for college at night. Well, we have a number of kids who are studying at night and they uh, just to give you one example. We have a young man right now. He's only about 15 years old. He studies every day and he is spending this whole January, February, March studying in an academic, it's called academia, where it's a pre-college program. He says, I want to get a full ride scholarship and to be able to qualify for this scholarship, I've got to, I've got to be studying every day. And he's very studious, very responsible. And I, I would expect that he's going to be able to pull this off. I suspect he would. Whatever he, Whatever he does, he'll do well because he's highly disciplined. Yeah. And this is something that we are, I was just reading the news today about how a number of uh, rather rich people who have been donating to rather popular and very expensive colleges are having second thoughts because they're saying that the young people, they're not really applying themselves. And I'm thinking about here are these kids in the worst situations you can find are doing what that kid was doing. We're fighting a culture and uh, it's very easy for the kids to take an easy route. And I talk to the kids all the time about the importance of formation, the importance of, of uh, discipline. I mean, it's not just me, it's all of us talking these things. And every child has the opportunity to, to do this. Now, does that mean every, every child does it? No. But I know that every young person has the opportunity to get out of the problems that they have and to be able to lift their family higher than they ever were. Now, we've just been doing what's called the optical mission. We've had a number of our ex-kids uh, come here in the past couple of weeks. And it's just a joy to see some of these kids who, you know, they're, they're, they came from poverty. And they're not rich, but they're a couple notches higher than they were. And they introduce us to their children. And I look at their children. Their children are not in an orphanage. Their children are cared for by the parents. They're loved by the parents. They're still living a, 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 not a rich, fancy life, but they're giving their children more than they ever had. That, for me, is a very strong success story. Oh, also, I'm, absolutely. And also the faith aspect of it. We're having a, I wonder if it's a worldwide situation, probably so, but there was, again, a recent story in the United States about how, uh, in one survey, at least 28% of the people in the United States said they don't believe in God anymore. And... Uh, here in the diocese, we're participating in a, a real presence program to to revive and reinstitute the idea that spend some time thinking about your relationship with God, the one of the lungs you're talking about, uh, because it's just as important here as it would be in Peru uh, with people. They're just uh, wandering around trying to figure out what what's missing in their lives. And we're trying to say, maybe we have something here that you might want to know about. But, you know, I think every kid has to go through that stage. And I myself, when I was in high school, I had many doubts about the existence of God. I came from a very intact family. And so I look at the kids that we have living in, a, in an environment where it's very popular nowadays to say, I don't believe in God. And it's like most of them go through this passage of time in which they, they have their doubts. Every time I start a semester with them uh, of catechesis, I start with the idea of, how do we know there's a God? And 
and so we review that all the time because that's just part of their growing up is that they they have to wrestle with this but if we don't accompany them in this search then they never discover who the Lord is and that's why who will spend time with these kids because the reality right now is that most parents are just so busy they don't have the time the kids are being raised on their cell phones or raised in the streets and and these kids it's going to be a it's going to be a real hard struggle to be able to find that identity and uh, who am I who is God what's my purpose in life I find to have young people living in this house where we can live with them we can accompany them ask the questions we can do psychology we can do catechesis we have mass every day we have groups coming we're able to address a lot of these growing up issues and not ignore them and we in that sense we're able to walk with the kids through this stage of life that we call adolescence and again not perfect success but everybody has an opportunity to be able to to be able to grow and and there's some good people that we have who help walk with these kids so it's not just one person it's many people your influence and help also extends outside of uh, casa itself i remember during the uh, pandemic that uh, you were helping supply oxygen to uh, people who needed it and things like that all kinds of and you know when you get extra food and things like that, you you aren't just keeping it all yourself in, inside the walls of Casa. You're you're distributing it all around the place. It's it's a major major operation. And uh, how many staff? How many? What's your total number of people working there? I'm I'm thinking at least thirty five. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it it takes a lot of people. Legally, we have to have our porters. We have to have our cooks. We have to have social worker. We have to have psychologists. All by law. And uh, we have two teachers for every family. We have to have assistants who help them, especially when they have days off. So then, boom, 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 it all, it all starts adding up. But it, it, takes, it takes a lot to be able to run a Casogar. If you want to have a Casogar that's able to accompany the children, if you want just to have a dorm, well then get a couple of people and then the kids just hang out. But if, but if we're going to have a formational model, then that's much more labor-intensive. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it is. And also, you are uh, em- employing some local people as well, which is a, a good thing for them as well. They're all local people. Yeah, yeah. I was amazed. Um, are you still doing the thing where you're getting milk from Wisconsin? That is huge. <laughs> we, we were getting about 150 to 200 bags a year, 50 pounds each all from the Diocese of La Crosse. And then I think it's the, the Rural Life Committee was sponsoring all that, but it was so labor intensive on our side that my administrator would lose about two weeks of work. And it finally got to the point where I said, Bishop, I, I just don't see this as worthwhile because it, we're losing too much on our end. And so we had a meeting with the Rural Life Committee and we said, we're thinking about just give me a donation, I'll buy milk down there. It's not as good, but it would give us something. And then somebody came up with the idea and said, but Father, what if we gave you instead of 150 bags or 200, what if we gave you 800 bags? I said, now you have my attention. And that's where, yes, then it's worth every penny on our side. 
And so for the last couple of years, we've been getting 850 pound bags. And that is an unbelievable gift. I've got the Kasogar. I only need about 150 to 170 bags a year. All the rest we share. We give it to Catholic charities. We give it to other orphanages. We give it to soup kitchens. We have parishes. There are just many, many people who are able to share in this. And the milk that we get is better than any milk that they can get here in Peru. And so it's, it's, it's just a huge gift. And when people come even here as poor people to the house, I'll often give them a five pound bag, just a powdered milk. And that's just like a great gift for them. I can't say enough about the milk yeah, project. I was going to say that, that you're talking about pounds of milk. This milk is powdered and shipped in a huge container ship down there. And uh, you can use it to barter for other things. But also, uh, it's like you say, just giving it away. The same as you do when you, know, when you get a load of bread from some company or whatever, and you have more bread than you need, you, you pass it out and things like that. It's not like we're, sw- hey, you give me this, I'll give you that. But it's rather... It's a collaborative effort where we have a number of orphanages where we say, hey, if I have something that I can share with you, I will share with you. If you have something you can share with us, you share with us. And so it's a sharing that we have. Every time that somebody has something more than they need, we call each other. We formed an association of, of other orphanages here in the diocese. And there's especially about four or five that we we stick quite close together. And we share with each other in that sense anytime we have something extra and they're helping us we're helping them Uh, even another part of that sharing is right now there's another orphanage nearby where they've had trouble with a couple of their boys and so they've asked us can you take our two boys for a month so we take their two trouble boys and we'll have them for a month then on the other hand in another six months if I have a couple troubled kids on this side I'll send my kids over there to give them another experience. But these are ways that we can collaborate as different casas hogares, that we can uh, help support each other in a very difficult environment. So basically, you're, you're really not an isolated place that is totally removed from the rest of what's going on around you. It's quite the opposite no, of that. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. Not at all, because I help out at the cathedral. I help out in uh, another chapel about two, uh, two miles from here called Buena Vista. So every every Sunday I have mass here at the house. I have mass in that chapel and oftentimes help out at the cathedral. And then uh, like this week, I'm teaching a Bible class in a parish at four nights and, um, and, and helping out at the retreat center sometimes. So many of us priests are all crisscrossing and helping each other. And uh, I, I so it's, I, I feel very much a part of, of this presbyterate that we have here. Every Monday I go to the cathedral and I have lunch with the vicar general. And that's our chance. We get a group of priests together and we sit and talk. And um, it just helps us to help work together for a common cause. The only time that you were somewhat isolated from the rest of the world was during the pandemic. And that's where you had locked down, basically. And uh, I'm sure that was tough on the kids, on their, you know, on, on any members of any families that were related to them. We have had a slight resurgence of COVID now. Um, nothing like what it was. Uh, but uh, 
Not as many people have taken the vaccine, even though it's out there. We just got our shots a week or so ago. But uh, how has it been down at your end? How is the COVID situation down there? Yeah, I, it's not really a big deal. Yeah, it's not big. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we, so we're not so worried about it. But when it was going on, that, that was tough because Peru got hit very, very hard. But compared to most people, we lived a fairly normal life because we closed we didn't we closed the doors almost nobody left here and so we lived like in a very closed environment with about a hundred people only those who could live here could work here and so for many of our kids for that first time that first wave of covid nobody left in nine months nine months nobody left and uh and only a few people would go out to buy the food but we, had, we just took very great um, measures to be able to restrict movement in and out. Parents would come to the door and they would have to basically look at their children, but nobody could hug. Hmm. You know, we've seen that in the States too. Yeah. But it was, a, it was a difficult situation. But we made it through. Yeah, yeah. And thanks be to God. Sure. Well, now we, we're, you know, uh, up here, there, people have are acting like it's gone away. But what they're telling us now is that uh, your annual booster shot is going to be kind of like your annual flu shot, and uh, that will keep it uh, keep it at bay. But yeah, it's not like it used to be. Thank goodness, we are happy to have that behind us. Although uh, I'm sure, as was in your case, I just was talking to a mom a week ago who said that her sons sons were kind of in lockdown, working from home, homeschooling, while during the pandemic, and they're having uh, considerable. Um, emotional problems, mental problems because of that, having not been able to be with their friends and do all that stuff. So it's been a tough time for parents as well as the kids involved. But uh, we're getting past that, thank goodness. We're getting past that. Academically, it's been a tough time because uh, a lot of the schools, their their standards fell. Yeah. And so we're going to be playing pickup ball for a long time. Yeah, there's a lot of still problem with absenteeism in some areas here because the kids were just not used to having a regular schedule at school. How is your? Uh, obviously, we're having to able to we're able to talk to you via a special piece of software, uh, all the way from uh, the central Wisconsin down to Peru with remarkable results. How is your technology holding up? How are you guys doing with all that infrastructure? Well, we had to rewire the house uh-huh. because uh, we are not equipped to support so many tablets and telephones and computers. And we were told within a couple of months of COVID that we that all students had to have access to a computer. The second year, everyone had to have their own tablet. Uh, it, it, was just, it was just really onerous. It was really difficult. But our whole uh, electrical system was saturated. And so we were still in that, some of that process of upgrading. So it forced us to do a lot of upgrades, but we're we're making. Well, the fact that we can even do this, I had my doubts the first time we tried it that would there even be a decent connection, and it, I was quite I was just shocked. This is really really quite amazing. Now, and also, it, people can't send you computers. I mean, you just physically getting it down to uh, Peru. Well, if you give me a laptop, Jack, I'll take Oh, okay. You could carry it down. Yeah. Don't give me a PC, but if you give me a laptop, I'll love it. Okay. Yeah, give me 20 of them. I'll take them. And uh, and so we've, I went to Paris and I said, give me all your old 
laptops. Well, right now it's a little difficult with old laptops because the technology is advancing so fast that they become obsolete within about six months. But um, but we've purchased a good number of laptops from the U.S. when we get a very good deal. And other times we have to go do it down here, but it's more expensive down mm-hmm. here. And then we're working with tablets and uh, w- whatever we can find. But at this time, we're backing off of, we no longer have virtual classes, but still, post-COVID, life is different because the computer age is certainly here. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we, we have to use a lot of virtual, or a lot of computer-based uh, learning. It's unfortunate that in up here we are not personally, but we the country is awash in somewhat older computers. You know, ones that will not go to Windows 11. They are frozen at Windows 10. I was just looking this morning at the uh, one of these companies had scratch and dent Dell laptops, Windows 10 with you know pretty good specifications, fifty nine ninety five each. Well, their trouble is is that. Disposing of them costs them more because they can't just throw them in a in a trash heap. But yeah, fifty nine ninety five scratch and dents. Um, they they're guaranteed to be functioning properly, but they have you know they they show wear on them. It's just amazing. And these are Windows ten Dells. I, you know, I, I have no idea whether they would be worth the effort to get people to get some down to you, but they're out there. And so next time you make your rounds up here, uh, we'll have to see if we can get the word out ahead of time. Maybe you can have a, a, a room at the diocese that has stacked up laptops and you can take your pick. We'll see what we can do on that one. Yeah, so oftentimes the young people who are in their project of life, that means the graduates who are in some kind of technical degree, they have specific uh, requirements for computers. And so they can't have just pieces of junk yeah, yeah. because they have to they have to be able to be competitive, and so they've got they've got certain requirements. Well, next time you or Noel is up here, uh, you guys should get a hold of me ahead of time and tell me very specifically what the specs are that you're looking for. And then I can put the word out during the show, this is what we're looking for. Okay. And you might be surprised when you come up, you might say, hey, uh, Father, over in, this, uh, over in this closet over here in the diocese, we've got uh, six laptops for you that meet your requirements. I'm sure there's people listening who probably have more laptops they know what to do with. Uh, it's, this is what we're here for. We, we have the ability in the show um, to, in, and in the local diocesan show, we have these public service announcements, and this is what they're for. We're looking for this. We're looking for that. You know, we're looking for whatever it happens to be. And uh, there's people listening who've got this stuff. There are companies who have these things sitting around. You know, it's it's true. Most of the stuff is older, but there'll be some newer ones. It's amazing how fast, like you say, this stuff changes. And uh, there'll be some some executives who want to buy a new, brand new, shiny laptop who say, "Hey, I can give this one to the Monsignor, and uh, um, this will work out good for everybody." So that we'll we'll do that. That's a good idea. I'll I'll, I'll bug Noel about that. That'll be fantastic. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. good. What else is on your plate these days? Well, we've got the, the eyeglass mission going on right now. And uh, this has been a busy month because we've had two groups already here. We had a parish group come then for a week. And then uh, I had some other people come from Delaware 
And now the, this eyeglass mission, it's like 20 people coming and we're giving out thousands of pairs of glasses. And we, we've been working since last week with all these volunteers. Today is the last day. And so um, th this is a wonderful mission where they get used glasses or sometimes new glasses. It's a computerized system. People come, they get their eyes measured their, for their vision, and then we try to match them up with the right pair of glasses. And they do this at least every two years. And now they're thinking about even attempting to do this every year, to do a big version and a little version of it. This group leaves tomorrow, and the very next day, another group comes from Stevens Point. That group is here for a week. About the time they leave, another group comes. I don't know how this happened, but uh, we've got, I think, about five groups coming almost back to back. Uh, I'm not complaining because it's, it's helping us. And uh, in the group today is my brother. In about a month, I'm going to have two sisters coming here, too, oh. from my family. Yeah. So it's a... It's, there's a lot of action going on right now. We're in the summer months. See, you guys, we, we have to think completely different. You're in the middle of school. You're in the middle of cold. We're no school, and we are hot and sweaty. <laughs> and so this is summertime. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so we're, we're very busy with groups coming down and spending time with the kids. Yeah. You know, I remember uh, several years ago, you had talked about what a revelation it was to, to get this, uh, these, these glasses in a computerized system so that when people got their eyes checked, you could quickly check on, on the computer and, and see if you had a pair of glasses that meet their needs. Um, that was quite a, I don't know who did that, but that was, that was a, quite an quite a important thing to do and it really made it worthwhile. Because uh, I remember you talking about how, you know, some of these folks did not have new glasses. Some of them never had glasses. And uh, to suddenly give someone the gift of being able to see well uh, is, uh, is priceless. It really is. So that's, that's a, the computerized system. They, they're kind of like a catalog. If someone says they, they've got, you know, really bad vision, this, this, this number, you can type it in. And then bingo. It says, okay, we've got three pairs of glasses that may work for this person. Uh, that's remarkable. It's a lot of work. It's a ton of work for the people who organize it during the year. Yeah. They have to work all year to get this ready. And then for f seven days, they just work like animals. Yeah. But it, it's giving the, the gift of vision. But you know, you just think of Casugar. Uh, our work is not just taking care of 64 kids. This is helping their families. We are working with the graduates. We are working in parishes. We are working in other community events, and and it's and then there's another aspect of it that I really like, and I feel a call to because it was specifically from Father Jose back in the '90s. He said, "I want reverse mission." Today we might call it missionary discipleship, but he said we're diocesan mission. If we're diocesan, there should be some kind of kickback back to the diocese, some communication, not just asking for a buck. He said, there's so much more we need to learn. And he said, I want to invite young people to come down and make mission trips to Kasogar. Learn a mission spirituality. And as they learn to be missionaries, then they can go back home and bring that spirituality to their environment. 
And, uh, and I've seen that in action during all the years. I've been doing mission trips here for 20, uh, 28 years now. So it's been a long time. And, uh, and then living here for these years. So we, we just see hundreds and hundreds of people come through here. And I know that we're having an impact, not just on the Peruvians. We're having an impact on all the young people from the diocese and other parts of the country who come and spend time with us and then learn that mission spirituality and go back home to be missionaries. Well, it's needed. Uh, there is this constant uh, struggle going on. You, I'm no doubt heard about the, the term, the N-O-N-E, nuns, the people who just don't think they really require any religious uh, structure whatsoever. They'll, they'll make it up as they go along. And you know, one of the things, uh, we've been doing this show for 10 years now. We, this is more than 600 shows. And the one thread that goes through the whole thing, uh, whether the bishop is on or you're on or someone else is on, is that we try to get people to understand that they have a spiritual side and that also that stuff doesn't just happen by itself. It requires work, study. It requires a ton of volunteers to help make things happen. Uh, there's no, um, I was joking about the old Alka-Seltzer commercial, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. It isn't like that. You just can't go plop, plop, fizz, fizz. You are now a fully balanced person and a great human being. It takes a lot of work. And uh, so the fact that we get people to even understand that all the work that's going on at CASA is tremendous. And, and I can't even begin to tell you how many volunteers you guys have, have had and you know, what value they have to you, because it, without them, I don't know what would go on. It's been a very positive experience for us. And, um, uh, but, you know, for myself, I could never handle this. It's just too much stuff. And that's why I've got Noelle helping. And Noelle from the United States is development director. She has volunteered. I don't know how many titles she's got, but she's got a lot. <laughs> and, um, and she helps pull these things together. I keep my I keep my sights more on the pastoral and on the administrative that I have to do, and then she, she's working all these other areas yeah. as well as the rest of the team that we have here. Well, well, Monsignor, let's do that. Let me get any final thoughts from you, then I can turn things over to Noel because most folks don't know much about her yet. They will in a few minutes. But any final thoughts before we switch microphones? People will ask, why do we? What is that we're trying to do for the kids? I want them to have hope, and I want them to know their identity. The, uh, I suppose we have to start with the identity. We live in a world today in which many young people don't know who they are. They don't know where they belong. And if I don't know who I am, then uh, I can fall for just about anything. There's a line that we use with the kids all the time, that I am the daughter of the king. I am the son of the king. There's a God who has made us. There is a God who has a plan. There's a God who accompanies us. There's a God who gives people in our lives. And when I have my identity, I can be a person of hope. And, and, and so when people say, what is it that you want to give the kids? I want to be able to give them hope. Because if they have hope, then they will fight for a future. And they will fight for a future that will be positive. And so... I, I consider this uh, just a, a great assignment to have. And I'm very happy to be down here in Peru. We cannot run this alone. I need a lot of missionaries to be working with us. I appreciate all the help that people do that make possible the work that we do with the kids and the families and the parishes. 
And, um, but I consider it a great privilege that we in the diocese are reaching out to other parts of the world and enriching them and in the process enriching ourselves. I, th I think we as a diocese are becoming more and more missionary minded when we, we become better missionaries that way. So those are a couple of thoughts. Right. Thank you. Monsignor Joseph Hirsch, uh, Casa Hogar, we're talking directly to Peru, which again, I'm astounded by. But I would like to switch over to uh, Noel Ferger because uh, uh, we haven't really spoken to her much directly. So it's a good chance for us to say hi to her and to, to introduce her to our, our greater audience that's uh, online and radio and every place else. So let's, uh, let's switch microphones and um, you, anything else going on, Monsignor, you know how to get hold of me. And Noelle will, too. <laughs> okay. Sure. And you will enjoy the interview with Noelle. She has been a lifesaver for us. We're very thankful to have her. And she has a lot of enthusiasm. So here, I'll pass it over to her. <laughs> God be with you all. Boy, Noelle, with, a, with an intro like that leading back to you, I don't know what, <laughs> how you're going to follow up on that one. Let me ask you a quick question. Yeah. Where are you from originally? I am from Wausau in uh, Wausau, Wisconsin, and um, I've lived there for the last 24 years. I started my marriage in Wausau, then we went to Texas for a while, and now most of our time has been in Wausau. Oh, whereabouts, whereabouts in Texas? I'm New Braunfels. So we have also been down there and come back. That's very good. What kind of stuff have you done uh, b before you were working with CASA? Well, my involvement in CASA actually started at my last employment, which was at Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau. I was the director of religious ed and youth minister for 19 years. I fell in love with CASA on my very first trip in 2013. I saw how it changed kids, and as it changed teens and the adults that came as chaperones, it also changed me. Um, CASA began to be a, a highlight of, of my program. Um, I, I was very social justice-minded in the way that I ran my program, and, and I had the the benefit of having some very supportive priests that allowed me to do that and keep CASA Incorporated. And then it just became more and more and more. When somebody hears somebody who has the title of development director, they think basically a person uh, sitting in an office, sending out emails, uh, sending out press releases, maybe designing a few brochures and asking for money. You are way beyond doing what I just described. There's so many things that you do I'm here generally for two one-month time periods throughout the year, and then an incidental trip or anything that might come up that requires that I'm here. I would usually come for a month crossing over from February to March, and that would be my like my first half of the year month, and then my second half of the year month works well for September before Father Hirsch comes home and, and we are on the Father Hirsch very busy tour. Normally, when uh, Father Hirsch is up in the fall, you know, it's partly vacation, partly development. I mean, he's, he goes from parish to parish and talk and talk and talk. And because of that, we used to try to get hold of him to have a, an interview with the bishop and you know have him on the show live in the studio. But ever since we got this system, which appears to be working pretty well, I thought maybe let me leave him alone because he's busy. Every day that we take away from him for some interview is one day less with his family. And so now that we've got this, we can periodically say, hey, let's, uh, let's call Peru. And also just now we were talking about technology and he said there are certain students who are going to require uh, laptops with sp specific 
technical abilities. In other words, nothing really old. Something that has to handle probably Windows 11 and has to have this processor, da 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 And I'm saying, look, if Noel can give me literally what they need, I can put this on the air, and then we may be pleasantly surprised that when one of you comes back up, over in a storage area at the diocese, there will be a couple of three laptops of the kind you need because some business person heard about that and went, hey, I want to buy a new laptop anyway. Hey, this is a good idea. But let's just do that. Well, yeah, that, I mean, it's going to a good cause. That would be wonderful. Well, there's no yes. reason why we can't. You know, it's like the old saying, you don't get unless you ask. And uh, this is, uh, of all the places you could be donating to, obviously, you love getting money. There's nothing wrong with that. We can talk about that a little bit later. But stuff like this physically, Obviously, we can't get you washing machines, big things, but laptops, we can get you. That's that's an easy peasy for us. This is what we do. You know, we we try to help out, and uh, heaven knows we've helped out Catholic charities with stuff as best we can. And uh, we, there's no reason why we can't just say to folks, "Hey, if you got this kind of laptop, we could use one." Heck, I might even have one here. I have no idea. But most most of my stuff is probably older than probably old enough to. to to vote but anyway <laughs> yeah well the donations are so helpful and yes we do need the monetary donations in order to be able to pay the bills and to oh, yeah. to pay the salaries however we also need a lot of shoes and and jeans and and toothbrushes and just the everyday things that are necessary to raise a child and we are very fortunate to have those donations come to us frequently the nine groups that are coming to CASA this in the year of 2024. They are mission teams and every mission team is asked to bring some donations here. The Newman Eau Claire group, we filled 50 pound suitcases for every suitcase they could take. I met over, met over in Eau Claire, I helped fill them. I had picked up donations in Marshfield. I picked up donations in La Crosse. Some people had some stuff from Stevens Point. And part of my job, as you mentioned, is, is not the standard director of development. It's also coordinating the wish list with what they need here, staying on top of that, and then letting the groups know what we need from them. And um, I just thinking about the numbers and, and what it costs to have an idea of what it costs to clothe a child and get them ready for school, just a rough number. I figured that last year, the donations from of Wisconsin that were brought with mission teams saved Casa Hogar over $25,000. Wow, that's good. And that's just with the everyday yeah. things. So basically, if you see these people getting on a plane to come down to Casa, they have all this luggage with them. And it isn't like, what do they do? Bring their entire wardrobe? You know, come on. They probably actually have a minimal amount of stuff, a couple of pairs of blue jeans and a couple of tops, and, and that's about it. Everything else is shoes, shirts, belts, socks, toothbrushes, toothpaste. This is how you can get it down there safely and inexpensively. And apparently, the, the folks at Customs understand what this is all about, you know, that you're they're doing that. And so there's no problem with that. But yeah, that, so that's why they had the, the big suitcases. That's that's good. It's good. And you make this list available to various parish groups that you talk to. So you have a targeted program so that like one school can get a whole bunch of stuff of this kind. And it's not a hodgepodge. It's a little more organized than that. 
Sure. So we have a, a wish list on our website. It's on the home page of our website. I update it frequently. Sometimes I can update it before they can even update it here because I know what people have called and told me they're bringing the next group mm -hmm. and I know what's on her list. So I take some things off and I'm always kind of a couple months ahead knowing what the weather is, knowing what their cycle, everything at Casa is very cyclical. So I know what's coming up around the corner and what kind of supplies they'll need. You know, after having been in the Casa world for 11 years and not just visiting, I did a lot of other things involving involved with Casa that kind of gives me a different perspective on what it takes to operate. I have to ask you this. This is kind of the dumb radio guy question. What is the most interesting or hardest to find item you have asked for that you actually got? It is a sunscreen that's very rare. It's, it's a brand that is from Europe, but you can get it on Amazon. I, I don't know exactly what the name of it was, but we had it on our wish list. We have two kids, two different kinds in that same kind of difficult category that they specifically needed because we have a nurse on staff and that nurse knew that these children had this skin disorder or speciality. So they were, they, it was put on the list and I'm thinking, well, we're never gonna get yeah. that. And we did. Yeah, yeah, and they they may have an allergic reaction to some of the common chemicals in some of the other sunblocks, and so it's not like a extravagant thing. Like I only want L'Oreal. I'm sorry, but yeah, that, that, and so that and it showed up. Well, this is why I'm I'm confident that if we mention these laptops, that probably they'll show up. I have I have certain confidence in that as well. But it's it, this is again, I don't think that people fully understand how labor intensive everything is. Well, you look at people should look at their own family. You got mom and dad and a couple of kids. Look how labor intensive that is. Now make it sixty four kids, <laughs> and teaching and running a school and running a basically food service for them. I mean, this is a lot of work. Plus, you had to deal with a water supply, getting water filters coming in. Your electrical system had to be redone. I remember that. I've been talking to, to Father Hirsch for a lot of years. Uh, you know, we basically uh, it's just. There's always something going on. And then you got hit with COVID for two years. And then you have restrictions going on with that. And basically, you know, they, they throw, and like he said, they throw stuff at you like, well, since you're locked down, every kid has to have either a laptop or, or a tablet to, to learn with. Oh, boy. Right. It's kind of like, right. it's kind of like, you know, mom and dad, I, I, I need a car. <laughs> for my part-time mm -hmm. job. You need a what? <laughs> kind of thing. It's the same yeah, thing. And that's... Yes, that's the thing. The kids are always needing um, a new technology, and um, this, we have kids in five different schools, so not only did um, they need to meet the needs of every child here at, during COVID, they also had to meet it in five different ways. Yeah, yeah. And, every, and so it was even more complicated. And then when the kids finally went back to school, after two full years, they were on virtual for two full years, when they finally went back, they had to go to seven different schools because the number of children in a classroom went down, obviously, as it did for us initially. And um, we had kids that were 45 minutes away in order to find them. And of course, that's even even more. And then they went hybrid. So they were on, on a day, off a day. And again, every school had different requirements, yeah. even still. You know, we uh, don't have a tremendous amount of time left. But one thing I, I love to mention, because it is so delightful, is that you also introduce music. And yes, that is joyful. Do. You have some um, 
uh, specialty guitars from Mr. McPherson that hold up to the weather because they're carbon fiber that he gives to Monsignor Hirsch. Um, they last very well. But just as Monsignor has said in the past, some of these kids, it, it gives them a different voice to express themselves. And we'll have to spend some time. I, I again, uh, would love to get some recordings from you that we could we could pop on and uh, um, periodically, just for fun, to do it because there's some good voices down there. And some of these kids are getting pretty good at it. So the kids are asked to help the younger ones. Um, we have some kids that have been playing guitar for three or four years, and Father empowers them to be the teachers of the next group of kids. For the choir and the piano, keyboard really they work together and they fine-tune their abilities you'll have a group just of kids that are only paying to playing two chords and then you have the other kids that are playing the whole thing um, and they sit and they watch each other and you should see how they sit and watch father Hirsch's fingers they just want to be able to play the music like he does and he has inspired so many musicians that just make the world a, a much beautiful, a more beautiful place. Yeah, absolutely. If you were here the during Mass, their voices are like angels. Mm -hmm. They really are. The whole church is singing. These hundred hundred people in this church with sixty four little voices just um, praise God in a in a, a unique way and so inspiring. It's a, a lot of goodness going on in all corners. Mm -hmm. what, what is the best way to find out more about CASA? Is there a, an easy website to give, or should we go to the Diocese of La Crosse and, and just look for a link? No, go to our website, which is at home, H-O-M-E-A-J-P-M.org. Okay. And that's our website. H -O okay, H-O-M-E-A-J-P-M.org. I will try to slip that in a couple of times. It's difficult on uh, over the radio if people driving, they hear things. But also there are links to CASA via the diocesan website as well. So if you can't yes. remember all those, just go to diolc.org and then you'll find the CASA stuff. It'll be there along with many, many other things as well. Noel, I, I'm afraid we are out of time. I really, delightly, del delightly, that's a new word. I really am delighted to talk to you and to uh, Monsignor and I'm thrilled that we have the technology and that you have the ability at your end and the technical expertise to get it set up so we can painlessly contact each other uh, when something's going on. I, I got to impress upon you that if there's something special, number one, let me know by email, but also I can quickly, you know, essentially dial you up on this thing and we could quickly record something and get it on the air. If there's something that's important that you need right away, if you get hold of me by a Tuesday, it could be on the air that weekend, and oh, that's, that's what we're that's what I'm here. That's what we're here for. This is the Bishop Show. Okay. We're you know I'm just a host, uh, but, but seriously, um, uh, don't hesitate because we this is what we're all about. This is what the whole show is called: connecting the diocese. That's what we're trying to do. So, don't hesitate. At this big little, I will take. Yeah. You oh, up hey, on that, please do. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And we will talk to you again soon because uh, okay. there's always something fun to happen over there. Maybe one of these days we'll get one of the one or two of the youngsters with their guitars, with that microphone, and we'll have them play a little music for us. Okay. That would be wonderful. One of the things that will be happening in the next couple of weeks is we are getting ten new students. Mm. So um, of course we'll be looking for sponsors for those students, and I love to share some of the story that I'm able to share and um, bring some words to people's minds about how wonderful each and every one of these children are. 
So perhaps we'll be able to talk in a couple sure, weeks. Sure, absolutely. And I can yeah. Tell you all about the yeah, kids. Yeah, and you've got my email address. Please put me yeah. on your regular distribution list for emails. Sure, I will. Well, Ferger, thank you. So I'm not, I'm not going to call you the development person. I'm going to call you the chief cook and bottle washer for Casa Hogar. Okay. Okay? We will talk to you again. Thank you. Okay. As I'm sure some of you may recall, I am on the distribution list for the Federal Trade Commission as they alert people to scams, usually charities. Every time there's a disaster, people will try to figure out ways of getting the money from you that should be going to the proper place. The one for this week was warning veterans about various scams where they either try to get money from you, perhaps, uh, you know, some kind of training or university or online courses that are of no value. Other times just to get your financial information so they can take your money. But I thought, well, this is kind of not particularly applicable. And then in today's mail, I get a letter from the Camp Lejeune lawsuit settlement. As some of you may also know, there has been a problem of people training at Camp Lejeune where there was some chemical or something that they're claiming has caused problems. Well, somebody claiming to be the Camp Lejeune lawsuit center sent me a letter. It says, hello, John. Good news. Our records indicate you may qualify for the $6.7 billion Camp Lejeune settlement if you served at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1987. There's only a couple of problems with this. I'm not a Marine. I didn't serve at Camp Lejeune. I was an Army guy. Fort Dix, Fort Hollibird. Sorry, I was not at Camp Lejeune. How did you get my name? They're fishing. Now, one or two things could be going on. These could be glorified ambulance chasers trying to get the legal fees that they will charge you for getting your settlement. Or they could be someone just saying, give us your account number so we can put the money in your account right away. Again, be extremely careful if you're a veteran and someone says, here's a chance of getting money or getting training or going to school for free. Just be careful. Read what they're saying and never, ever give them your personal information. Oh, yeah, one thing more, uh, Army guys, just so you know, you're not a Marine, but Semper Fi to all the Marines out there. I'm proud of you. Jack Socia saying goodbye for this week. I'll leave you with Monsignor Hirsch performing the Salvation Poem. You can watch and hear the whole thing on YouTube by typing in Salvation Poem and Hirsch. See you next week. Jesus, you died upon a cross Rose again to save the lost Forgive me now of all my sins Come be my Savior, Lord and friend Change my life and make it new Help me, Lord, to live for you Change my life and make it new Help me, Lord, to live for you Moriste en una cruz, resucitaste con poder, 
Perdona mis pecados, soy sé mi Señor y Salvador. Cámbienme y hazme otra vez y ayúdame a serte fiel. Cámbienme y hazme otra vez y ayúdame a ser.